We're sinners. God has acted to bring us into right relationship with him. He redeemed us. It cost him everything. It is given to us freely. He has been propitiated. You can see, I think of it visually like the eight chapters being distilled down to just this truth. And this flows directly from the cross of Christ. The cross is the centerpiece of everything in history and what God is doing and has done for us. Now, propitiation, it's certainly not a word that we use too much. Uh, it's not an everyday term, but actually properly understood, it's the essence of the gospel. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study called, The Truth Shall Set You Free. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Truth About Propitiation. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. We're going to jump right back into the scripture. If you want to turn to Romans, you can, Romans 3. But we're talking today about the truth, the truth about propitiation. And we're in the middle of this series uh, where Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And... Uh, he is the truth. God is a God of truth. God's means of liberating is through truth. The Holy Spirit's called the spirit of truth. The Bible is the word of truth. The spirit of truth wields the word of truth and liberates, sets us free. The truth sets us free. And Jesus, of course, being the truth personified, said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Lord, we're thankful for this as we just uh, mention it. And I thank you for the opportunity now to ask you to use your word in our lives to set us free, to give us uh, new eyes to see the beauty of what you have done for us and the corresponding freedom that that gives us to know you, the one we were created for, and to be able to come boldly into your presence. So we thank you right now for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had it on my mind. I bet you have too. Uh, I'm speaking about truth each week and thinking about Jesus' statement, the truth will set you free. And we live in a world, of course, that actually you know, ignores truth or denies it or ridicules it or probably most, most uh, how would I put it, the most active way that people uh, escape truth is by redefining truth. And we live in a world that almost, uh, in fact, with quite a bit of intolerance, says... Don't tell me there's the truth. You can have your truth, and I have my truth. And takes truth, that which corresponds to reality, the way things really are, and says, no, we can redefine it, and it can be subjective. It can be your truth. I picked up an article this week, and uh, the lead of the article was this. You be you. You live your truth, 
and know that New York City will have your back, said the mayor of New York City last year to a cheering crowd. You be you, you live your truth, and you know New York City will have your back. And I thought, wow. And the article uh, talked about just how that's working out in New York City. Uh, But, and I won't go into it further because I don't want to get sidetracked, but I will say, you say, are you picking on the mayor of New York? Well, I I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, there's probably not any New York City voter here. But if you are, uh, but no, it's, and if you follow things at all, every time you pick something, it's all around us. It's at your work. It's in politics. It's in the news, this idea that you can have your truth. You just live your truth, and we'll have your back. And it's refreshing to turn to the Scripture and know that God said there is truth. I am the truth, and that truth, the more we learn about God, who is the ultimate reality, the freer we become. So anyway, take... If I told you to turn to Romans, I didn't tell you where. Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, and today we want to look at the truth about propitiation. And uh, Romans, of course, is perhaps the most concentrated pages of truth in the Scripture. All Scripture is true, but I mean, when you want to know about the truth about Christianity, you turn to Romans and... Uh, I was thrilling as I was thinking about the work Eric and Amber are doing in, in their country, which I don't think we're supposed to mention which country, but I, I would just say that uh, just this week we had good news from India, and Roman's project is underway in India. We, we just thought it was an exploratory trip, but they'd, they'd uh, sent ahead, and a bunch of leaders have already read Romans and were giving testimony, read Romans repeatedly and copied it by hand, and they're already, it's underway. And it's just exciting to think there's a billion people that are going to be influenced by this energy to get into God's Word and hear Romans. So as I think about Romans chapter 3, I don't know of a more uh, central truth to the gospel than verse 21 through 26. Let me read it and then take it from there. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed, For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Now, we've been looking at truths, and specifically, we've underlined uh, in these last few weeks truths that flow right from the cross, right from the good news. And uh, Romans chapter 3 is getting right at that. And in fact, I say this is kind of the essence of the gospel. In fact, let me just shorten it further. He says, the righteousness of God, that which God has provided where a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, anyone in this room, anyone in Portland, anyone on the face of the earth who will come to Jesus Christ can be right with their creator in a right relationship. Now, this righteousness was promised in the Old Testament, he says, verse 22, and now, he says, it has been publicly displayed. And let me shorten this text even more because I see this as, in one sense, chapters 1 through 8 of Romans being distilled down to the verses that I just read. And then even further, let me just start at verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. We are unrighteous. Being declared righteous, being justified as a gift, freely, without strings attached, completely free, without cause in and of ourselves. By his grace, unmerited, the grace of God through the redemption and we spent a whole week talking about the truth about redemption, that God purchased us the economic language of the cross through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. We're sinners. God has acted to bring us into right relationship with him. He redeemed us. It cost him everything. It is given to us freely. He has been propitiated. You can see, I think of it visually like the, the eight chapters being distilled down to just this truth. And this flows directly from the cross of Christ. The cross is the centerpiece of everything in history and what God is doing and has done for us. Now, propitiation, as you look at it there in verse 25, it doesn't show up that often in the New Testament, the word itself, and it's certainly not a word that we use too much. Uh, it's not an everyday term, but actually properly understood, it's the essence <laughs> Of the gospel. So today I'm excited. I told Chris, I said, I've had a good time. I hope I can unpack it in a way that everybody else can because it's been a great week for me just zeroing in on this truth and thinking through God's thoughts after him regarding this truth of propitiation. I will say right now that propitiation is God's holiness, his righteousness. His holy and righteous wrath against sin being propitiated or satisfied in such a way that he can be propitious toward us, merciful toward us. You'll see the connection of righteous and holy wrath 
against sin and mercy toward the sinner tied together in this concept. And so I typically shorten it down like that when I'm explaining it to people because I love to read this text to someone who's never met Christ. If you're here, by the way, and you don't know Christ, I'm glad you're here, and I think today's a great day for you to think on these things, and you're always welcome. We're glad you're here. And I would say that when I'm talking to people, I often, I mean, when you get to the essence of God's love, you come to... Not just statements about God, but you come to an act in history. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, you come to the cross. And in fact, when the New Testament actually states it, a definition of his love, he uses this word. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm quoting 1 John 4, 10. So it's a central subject, okay? And as we look for the truth about it, what does it really mean? What's he saying? And how does it correspond to the reality? What has God done to be propitiated? Why, I think we're going to have a good time. Now in the dictionary, if you just look the word up, and I'm thinking of the term behind this term, the Greek term that Paul used here and that John used in 1 John and that the author of Hebrews used a couple of times in Hebrews 2 and, and Hebrews 9 where it's actually translated mercy seat. And we're going to go back and look at that. But when you just look up the term, it's to appease, to conciliate to oneself, to render propitious to oneself, uh, closely related to merciful. Turn to Proverbs let me show you, a uh, because we're going to go into the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is the backdrop for this, uh, this great concept of propitiation. But Proverbs uses the term, uh, and we're going to go back into the Hebrew Bible. I mean, the New Testament is written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. And I don't want to lose you or lose myself, because I would quickly, if I started to say too much, I, I don't know that much Hebrew. I'm no Hebrew scholar, I can tell you that. Uh, but, but at the same time, we want to get the essence behind these terms. So Proverbs 16, verse 14, the wrath, notice, you see that term, the wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will appease it, will propitiate it, will actually the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint, the LXX we sometimes say, uh, use the term propitiate here. The wrath of a king is real, but you can appease it. A wise man will learn how to appease, to conciliate, to atone. These terms are all very closely related together. In fact, the term he uses here is the word atonement, often translated atonement. Uh, the, so when we talk about the atonement, we say we're talking about the cross, well, these terms help us see just that. And when you think of the Day of Atonement, we're going to talk about that, Yom Kippur, 
It's this word, kafar, that is to cover or appease or to propitiate. And the day of atonement is the biggest day on the Jewish calendar. I remember as a kid when Sandy Koufax, the pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, would not pitch on Yom Kippur. And I said, boy, I like these devout Jews, you know, because I didn't want him pitching on that day. And uh, he, had, uh, he, he wouldn't do it. And so uh, turn to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. It's often translated mercy seat. You'll actually see it translated that in Hebrews 9 in the Greek Testament. Why in the Old Testament the mercy seat was the centerpiece of the tabernacle, the very presence of God, uh, the mercy seat over the ark. You think of the imagery that is more than imagery. They were, const- they were to construct this and they did and it was right in the center of the encampment of Israel, the mercy seat and you shall make, Exodus 25, 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide, about four feet, 45 inches by two and a half or a little over two feet, a slab of gold, which would be the very throne, so to speak, of Yahweh. They were not to make any image of Yahweh. He is the unseen one. You can't really see me and live. But there was this golden mercy seat. And it's used 27 times, the term, in the Old Testament. And every time, if you glance in my Bible, it says in the side note, or expiatory. The expiatory, the mercy seat, where God's wrath against sin would be propitiated. And so I shouldn't, I shouldn't say, did I say expiatory? I meant to say propitiatory. This term that is translated mercy seat, it was right in the tent of meeting. And if you glance down to verse 22, there I will meet with you. And from above the propitiatory, from above the mercy seat, From between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, the propitiatory. Turn over to Numbers 7 just to see these references because 25 of the 27 occurrences of this term are in Exodus when he's telling Israel how to build this temple or this tabernacle and then when they build it and then on the day of atonement when Aaron is actually instructed to go in before the very presence of the Lord. And the other two I'll give you here number seven verse 89. Now when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him He heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. So he spoke to him. He heard the voice. When Moses went in, he heard the very voice of God. This is where man can meet God, okay? 
And later, when David gave Solomon the blueprint for the temple, he told him how to build the temple in such a way that there would be this holy place and there would be this mercy seat. And that's the only times it's used until you come to the New Testament then, and he unfolds some of the great meaning for us today. Now, all these terms, all these usages help us understand this great term, propitiation. Let me re-quote Romans again. All of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. These great truths, redemption, reconciliation, justification, propitiation, they overlap. They come together in the cross of Christ, but it's helpful to see the language behind it. Have you ever heard, uh, you've probably heard me, but I'm sure you've heard if you've been around the Christian world very long, you read the Bible very long, God loves a cheerful giver. And when we realize the word for cheerful is hilaros. And you can hear the word, our word, hilarious. And so we'll sometimes say he loves it when we're cheerful, hilarious about giving, joyously giving. Well, this word hilaros is from the same root as the word propitiation. It has this idea of being cheerfully Merciful, if you will. God is not reluctant to forgive sin. He's not reluctant to have relationship with us. It's impossible. He can't just say, oh, it's okay. But he's not reluctant. He is propitious. He has been propitiated by the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can come right into his presence and he says in Romans 12, he says, when you show mercy, when he's talking about different gifts and how we're to manifest the character of Christ, he says, you who show mercy, do it with cheerfulness. He uses this term. <laughs> do it with, it's a close cousin. They're all from the same root. Do it with a propitiatory attitude. Be merciful with cheerfulness. When the publican, the tax collector, you know, he went in, and uh, there was a Pharisee, Jesus told that story in Luke 18, Pharisee, religious, self-righteous man, and this tax collector who knew he was a sinner. And the, tax, the uh, Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these people here. <laughs> and then the tax collector cried out, Lord, be merciful. This is the term he used. Be merciful to me. And Jesus said, I'll tell you who went down to his home justified. Not the guy that said, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this low life over here, but that low life who took his place as a low life, who took his place as a sinner before God and said, be propitious toward me. Be merciful toward me. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Truth About Propitiation, a message from our study of the great truths of the Bible. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. 
A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Did you know Abide in the Word is available every day on Facebook? Well, right along with our daily podcast on iTunes and Google Play, our daily messages are posted to Facebook as well. You can find them at facebook.com slash abide in the word. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. We'd like to remind you that Abide in the Word only remains on this station through the generous contributions of listeners like you. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in this Bible teaching ministry? We'd love to have you join us. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God that John could point to, offered himself without blemish, not year after year, first for himself and then for the people. No, he offered himself as God's propitiation. God is not reluctant to save. God is not somehow full of wrath and unable to forgive. He is a wrathful God. He is a righteous God. He's a holy God. You can't come into his presence your way, but he has provided at his cost a propitiation. And so Romans says, freely he justified us, being propitiated in his blood. God designed this. God designed it and it cost him everything. He is ready to forgive. Join us again next time as we continue our study called The Truth Shall Set You Free. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled The Truth About Propitiation. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you 